are listening to the Elephant in the Room podcast with your host, Sutta Singh. Each week, we will bring you a diverse range of inspiring speakers on issues of inequality and inequity. You will hear stories about fairness, justice, belonging, and about best practice for creating a more inclusive workplace. So, if you are an individual or leader interested in a fairer, equitable, compassionate society and workplace, this podcast is for you. My guest on the Elephant in the Room podcast this week is Neha Arora, the hugely passionate founder of Planet Abled. Neha is also a member of Board of Advisors at Travel Unity and is an advocate and champion for accessible and inclusive travel. Good afternoon, Neha. Thank you for making time to be a guest on the Elephant in the Room podcast today. Thank you so much, Sudha, for inviting me. And I'm looking forward to our conversation. Brilliant. To get started, let's start with a quick introduction. Tell us a bit about yourself. Well, I'm Neha Arora, and I'm the founder of Planetable, which makes tourism accessible and inclusive for persons with disabilities and the elderly. And I started because of my own personal experiences, because I never traveled as a child. And my parents, who are now in their 70s and 80s, they never traveled until a few years ago. So after I started earning, the first thing I did was to save some money and travel, only to be disappointed by the inaccessibility and uh, the societal stigmas related to it. So we started off as a travel service provider and gradually grew up into a destination developer and an ecosystem enabler where we help businesses as well to become accessible and inclusive. Okay, that's very interesting. So you've said a bit about what Planet Abled is. So it's very difficult. I understand when you start on your professional journey to actually quit a good job and to become an entrepreneur. And to become an entrepreneur at any stage is a difficult thing. It's not in our psyche. It's not in our mindset. So what were the drivers for you? Yeah. So Planetable is not my first venture. So along with my corporate job, which lasted about nine years with various IT and telecom companies, I was having side hustles all the time. And just for the fun sake, because I found it a corporate job to be too boring. So I was like, let's do something. This is an opportunity. Let's make some money here. And this is a gap. So every year of my corporate, I was trying and launching something new. And sometimes I gave up because I lost interest. Sometimes I shut things down because I thought, oh, I'm not the right person to do it. Or sometimes I ran out of money. Or sometimes, you know, there were different reasons for abandoning different projects. But Planetable actually kind of simmered over the years. So when I started working and we went for our first holiday and it didn't go as planned. And what happened was wherever we were going, I was getting into arguments about accessibility, that why it's not accessible. And one fight at a temple turned into a mob fight because the priest made it about religion, like asking for access. And that was kind of the tipping point when my parents said, we are not going anywhere because you fight anyway. Because they are like most Indians with disabilities are conditioned to accept this is not for you and that's okay. Yeah. I was that person. Why? It's not okay. And so this was... I think 2009. And I thought they'll get over it and they'll get back, but they did not. And then gradually I started looking for solutions not to find it. And then I was like, okay, perhaps I should do something about it. 
but because of my starting and closing business trend, I cannot abandon this. If I have to do it, there will never be a plan B. If I do it, I'll go all in because this is not about money. This is not about fun. And this is not about just doing something exciting because you'll be creating hope in so many people. Yeah. And then you cannot abandon them because they've kept their trust in you. So yeah. I think for two to three years, I did my homework to convince myself that it would be a financially sustainable model and I can pull it on. So I sat at airports counting the number of disabled people coming out because India has no data about disabled travelers, still doesn't. And talk to consumers of hotels who are there at the airport to receive travelers, like how often do they travel, do they travel for work or leisure or stuff. And to my surprise, there were not enough people traveling. And then I went into the community, like what sort of experiences they were having, whether they were traveling or not traveling at all. What are the challenges and what is their ideal solution? And does that make business sense? Like, would I be able to pull it off as something financially sustainable? So then once I was convinced, then I was uh, at a point like, yeah, this makes sense. I'm convinced, like, if not now, then where? Like, you know. Every day sitting in Adobe office, I was like, nothing's going to change. My parents are retired. I have a lifestyle to support. I have no savings because I burnt all of them in previous business. Yeah. <laughs> but it was still like, I'll take it one day at a time. And it paid off. I mean, it's been the most amazing journey of my life. Still I can imagine. And I think you should not forget about the kind of experience that you got running those businesses, even though they may not have succeeded. It prepared you for where you came, where you started your journey. And probably this business idea was the most authentic, most aligned to your purpose and it was like you say, whenever you have a plan B, things don't work. I think entrepreneurs just need to go all in. Otherwise, it just doesn't work. Yeah, it's like tragic to hear the statistics. And of course, we are all aware about how unusual it is for people to travel with disabilities. Globally, there is an estimated 1.3 billion people with significant disabilities. And that is one in six of us, right? And as per the Indian census, it is just 2.2% or 2.68 crore. It sounds like a ridiculous figure, really. And so my question to you is, would you agree that the numbers are perhaps not right, but also that people with disabilities are hidden in our society? So both the things, actually. So answering to the first part of your question, when the last census was done, that time, only seven disabilities were recognized in India. Autism was not a disability that time. We recognized as a disability only when the new RPWG law was passed in December 2016, and which came into force in 2017. Now we have 21 disabilities. So there is a huge leap in the number of disabilities that are recognized. It still does not cover all the aspects of disabled people, but still it covers a lot of them even some invisible disabilities. And also the world average is like 15%. How can India have 2.2%? It does not make sense. India has the maximum number of blind people in the world. And because blindness, most of it is preventable in India. It's lack of basic healthcare. Basically, cataract has been the biggest reason for people going blind in India. And so the number is definitely not correct. 
and we should go by the world average and perhaps more because going by the kind of lifestyle or living conditions we have in India, we are supposed to have more disabled people. And of course, it is stigmatized because even families hide that. Even people themselves hide that they have an invisible disability. In India, how many times are we talking about children having ADHD or a learning disability? We still consider, okay, it's only mutual accessibility and then also it's stigmatized. Like, okay, why do you have to go to a shopping mall to shop? I'll get it for you. Yeah. Like I've had such those experiences with some people that they have never sent them to school. Yeah. They're just born into wealthy families and the person with disability has never stepped out of the house in years. The neighbors don't know that there is a person with disability that lives in their house. Yeah, I have seen that within my family, people didn't want to talk about it. People didn't want to tell other people about it. With the stigma associated with my aunt and my mother, they had polio aunt more visibly and my mother less visibly but it is such a stigma yeah totally agree with you and it's a very sad thing and I think the more we talk about all of these things and the more we sort of spotlight issues yeah and just to add I mean in India even the elderly if you acquire a disability because of age, it's not even considered a disability. I mean, people don't even accept themselves. I wear a hearing aid, but I'm not disabled. They lose their vision or their mobility, but they are not disabled. I was asked when my parents of my schoolmates got to know about me and my parents. They were like, who pays your school fees? I was asked this question because there was an assumption that people with disabilities don't work. Yeah, I, I had a really good colleague when I was at uni. And there were quite a few people with visual impairment at college. But yeah, you don't know what happened to those people because they're not visible in the workplaces or not visible when you go into a mall or when you are outside somewhere. You don't see people with disabilities in India. Um, yeah, that's sad. But em- employment-wise, I think it has been improving like much, much faster because India does not have a disability benefit like the UK or US or countries in yeah. Europe where you have a disability benefit on which if you are not able to work, you can live on those benefits. India doesn't have that. I mean, yeah, we have that. It's like 200 rupees to 2,400 rupees, depending upon which state you are in per month. Yeah, that's like really not going to do anything. So people had to struggle to find jobs. So now even the MNCs like IBM, Microsoft, Cisco in India are hiring persons with disabilities in white college jobs. I have a friend who is a blind person and he's a cybersecurity expert. I have a certified CFA who is a business analyst with uh, Deloitte. So they are growing in numbers and which is very, very refreshing to see. But when you talk about social life. Yeah, I'll speak about this to you after the podcast, because a lot of what I have noticed is that companies want to be seen as doing DEI and being inclusive. But for most people, it is like really challenging just to get past the first screening, because most of the time they want you to not have any visible disabilities or visible problem maybe you're a wheelchair user and don't have anything that's going to impact how you work which they don't want to make any reasonable adjustments as one calls yeah, it true. Anyway, let's move on to the next question is there data on the number of people with disabilities traveling and how big is the demand because you said that you were sitting at airports counting the number of people who were coming out from the airport 
So as per my knowledge and experience, four countries in the world monitor travelers with disabilities data. Four countries in the whole world. And these are independent organizations that track most of the time. US, Australia, UK, and Germany. But their focus also is majorly on persons who are wheelchair users or mobility impaired. So in 2018 or 19, I'm not sure of the year, Americans with disabilities, only wheelchair users. So this was done by an independent organization in the US, this is a research, and they spent 58 billion US dollars on accessible travel in one year. And we are just talking wheelchair users at the moment, which are like only 10 to 12% of the disabled population. So we are not even counting the 88 to 90% of disabled people. Still, the yearly spend is 58 billion. Yeah, staggering. So that's disposable income of disabled people and their families and friends is $13.1 trillion. That's the amount of money that we're talking about. And we are not creating products or services that can cater to them because we have our own prejudice that these people don't travel or they don't have the money. Or we're just used to doing things in a way and we don't want to move. It's a huge opportunity. According to you, Neha, what are the biggest accessibility challenges facing the Indian travel and tourism industry? I'm just thinking, where do I start? (laughs) Yeah. So I think the biggest challenge is first recognizing that this is a market, recognizing the fact that this is a market that you need to create products and services for, that is important in the first place. That is still missing. So when I started like almost eight years ago now, and it has changed like earlier hotels used to say, they don't travel, why are you even coming? Now they are at least talking about it. Let us know how do we make it accessible. Yeah. They're still not investing major money into it. But yes, there's a major shift last year. Uh, the Ministry of Tourism released draft to guidelines for accessible tourism in India. And it was a lot academic. So I gave them a whole new document of practical applications like the pro bono. And now both the documents are nowhere to be seen. <laughs> but it is changing in a way because of the RPWD Act that we have. Like the America has ADA, which recently completed 33 years. Ours is like only six years in the making. So that's why you see at least some ramp somewhere, at least for the compliance sake being put. Yeah. Just to meet the compliance, at least the government organizations are doing it. But then it is so much more than just a ramp that you put in when it comes to accessibility. The websites are not accessible. The travel content that you see on social media or on website, the fancy videos and the promotional brand videos, none of them have audio description or caption. Or they are not made keeping in mind people with sensory disabilities that some kind of trigger must be there or should be a warning that people should watch or not watch. Museums, everything is still behind a glass wall. So there is no access we are talking about for people who are blind. We are not talking about the lights and the sounds in the museum. We are not talking about easy language guides for people who are deaf or have learning disabilities. That whole idea that accessibility in tourism is so much more, we are not there. Airlines have nothing. It has to start from the point, okay, I as a traveler with disability want to travel. The thought. Now I go to Google and find a website, but I find no accessible content in travel about the destination. Okay, I still figure it out. But then I have to find a transport. 
whether I travel by train or air or by bus. Yeah. None of the intercity buses are accessible for wheelchair users. I mean, you give them a free discount, like, okay, have a free ticket. No, I don't. What would a free ticket do? They cannot get into the bus. Yeah, that's true. We have the largest rail network in the world, and it's not accessible for wheelchair users, zero. Yeah. Like, what are we talking? I mean, when you go to accommodations, only four star and above have one room which is wheelchair accessible. For other disabilities, we are not even talking or thinking. Yeah. And they are also for yeah. compliance sake. Once I have got the shower panel removed while the guest checked in the hotel because she could not go inside the shower area to take a shower. And this was a five-star property certified accessible. This is like so terrible. And I know that a lot of the global chains do that because of global compliance needs. And if they can cut corners in the Indian context, they will and they do. But I think so much needs to be done. This is like so shocking that we are keeping people away because they cannot access. Um, yeah, just for at every point of the journey, there are difficulties in their way. Neha, does affordability play a big role in getting people to travel? And also it's affordability, awareness and attitudes. To what degree do they impact travel? So I'll start with awareness because there is a severe lack of awareness about that these people exist. Yeah. Because when the government is not even counting them, so then how do you think that the businesses would create services or products for them? Then we talk about the attitudes. Like, I know people even who are working in the travel industry for two decades have their family members or children with disabilities who they have kept inside the house and never did anything about it. And I was so shocked about it. And I've literally asked them, why don't you do this? It is so easy. You own this transport company. You own like hundreds of vehicles. And yeah. do you know your own child is not able to access them? Why don't you do something about it? Yeah. Nothing. And that has been the biggest shock for me. Why not? Not even for their own family member. And affordability, yes. Traveling with disability in a country like India is actually sometimes more expensive than traveling in Europe. Really? Yeah, because like in some places, if you really plan well, like I was in a hostel in Malaga in Spain a few years ago and I was paying 15 euros a night. Yeah. They had an accessible dorm for wheelchair users. It was accessible, 15 euros a night. And here, we don't have any wheelchair accessible hotel room, which is below four star. So the cost definitely goes up. And your road transport is not accessible. Your tra rail transport is not accessible. So you have to fly. Then it adds to the cost. Plus your local transport. If you are lucky to be in a city that you have wheelchair accessible vehicle, then it's double the cost of a regular car. True. And True. I'm not even talking about how there are any accessibility features for the blind, deaf, people with sensory disabilities in a hotel room. They do not exist. And this is not just India. This is a global problem. Yeah, this is a global problem. We see a lot of issues with people traveling here too, even though there is accessibility at stations and the trains. But still, it's a huge exercise of planning pre and post. It's not that you decide that you want to go somewhere you can go. No, there is a lot involved in it, and which itself can be very mentally tiring, right? Um, yeah, there's no access to information. Like, 
you have to call 10 times to ask, is it okay? Does that meet my needs? Do you have any accessibility at all? There are times, even if they allocate you accessible room, it won't be there available when you reach there. Yeah, we've seen this here too, actually. And they give the rooms away and that person with disability is like really stuck and they don't know what to do because they're not going to help you to get into another room. Um, and there is an assumption like which I have faced, even the best of properties in India. And India has a lot of luxury properties, like best in the world, really. Really, yeah. They always assume that someone would be traveling with a disabled person. Yeah. Absolutely, there to assist them. And yeah. I have had people who are like women in seventies, been to fifty countries in a wheelchair, spinal injury, and now in India alone, and they cannot uh, like imagine that it's even possible, even if they're paying the same amount of money. And on an average, a disabled person actually spends thirty percent more money than a non-disabled person. And even then, people don't recognize that. I think it is to do with all awareness, attitude, and affordability are big factors. How committed yeah. are we as a country to enable all our citizens to enjoy this beautiful country and the different states and the heritage sites, etc.? The lack of accessibility clearly encroaches on something that is very fundamental to people, your fundamental rights. Yeah. I mean, I wish I had better news. <laughs> because I'll give you a few examples. So like the RPWD Act came, the law is very good. Like it covers all aspects, not just built environment, but digital accessibility as well and information access as well. And they also had a timeline that by this date, month and year, you should be accessible, which was last year, by the way. So it had the, the buildings which were built before 2017 had to be accessible by 2022. And that did not happen. And the new buildings that are even coming up in the name of development and making things fancy, we are actually making things inaccessible. So simple examples that the payment machines, the card machines, are all touchscreen now. The button ones were accessible for a blind person to safely use their card by themselves. Yeah. Now they cannot use it themselves. No. The lift buttons are all touchscreen with color. My father had himself got stuck in a lift. It happened to me myself. So because there was no audio in the lift, they turned it off and it was a touchscreen. So I was just going from parking to ground floor. I took my mother out, who's a wheelchair user from the lift. And in that moment, the door closed. And he was alone. He didn't know what happened. He oh went on the 15th floor and came back, not knowing what is happening. And this happened even in a New York City hotel with a blind athlete like a couple of months ago. This is like so distressing just to hear yeah. this. To experience, I cannot imagine that y'all were feeling and your father was feeling, which is just like so horrendous, horrible. Yeah, so committed, I don't know. We are just trying to meet the compliances to be in good books that we did something. That is where we are. I mean, we don't have vision. We are launching new trains every day. Are they accessible? No. You know, just create one general bogey for disabled people with a wide door. But it's like three feet high. No one can get into that train. And forget yeah. just wheelchair users. We're not talking about them. Blind people. One of my dad's mentees, yeah. he was a railway employee before he retired. He fell down between the train and the platform. He was four oh months. Oh, my God. Yes. 
He was miraculously saved because he was an employee. Everyone knew him at the station. They just pulled him out. My God, what a disaster. How scary. Yeah. So this is the reality. It's like we don't have a vision that including persons with disabilities in our daily life. You know, you go to shopping malls who have unfortunately accessible washrooms now. The only place you can have an accessible washroom in this country. They are usually used as stores or are never clean. And this has happened to me n number of times. I walked with my dad into men's washroom because there's no other way. And people stop drinking water. My mother stops drinking water if we are traveling. There's no other way. And sanitation is a big issue. We are making these everywhere on a mass scale. The accessibility only few have. Most of them, they just make a ramp. And with a small... How do you think a person with each other? would go inside that. Or how would a person who is blind would know which is a female washroom and which is a male washroom? There's no way to identify. There are no navigation systems around. If you go to a railway station alone as a blind person, how would you navigate the station and get into the right bogey that you're supposed to without assistance? The whole concept of independent movement and independent traveling is not there. Yeah. A lot of work really needs to be done. So I think it's great that you started on this journey and you're taking it on. Thank you. I'm trying, but there are some people who are really supportive. I would still give a shout out to some hotel chains who are now joining us. They've come to us and in our pilot phase, wherein we are creating a standard for accessibility and inclusion for tourism industry, they have come in, we'll go all in and do whatever it it is possible to be inclusive of travelers with all types of this. So they are very handful, but they are there. And I'm really glad they are sensitive people. It yeah, says, yeah. like that. But they are five stars again. So yeah, affordability, it's not going to be open to everyone. See, the whole idea is affordability comes in when people can visit places without anyone's assistance, without planet aid. Like planet aid should not exist in an ideal world. So yeah. They should be able to go to a museum where the ticket is like 50 bucks yeah. by themselves. Like that is affordability at scale where everyone has access. They cannot go for a long holiday. They can still go for a like a local museum. Absolutely. So in an ideal world, Neha, what would accessible travel look like? Because we have to aspire for something, right? We can't just like give up and say, okay, this is not happening. I think I'm still very positive in looking at you and some of the other people I see. I think there is hope. So we must aspire. So in an ideal world, I would say where accessibility and inclusion is mainstream, that it's not something you do separately as for a separate group of people. It is so mainstream that you don't even realize it exists, but it includes the needs of every type of travel because it's not just persons with disabilities we're talking about people from the lgbtq community we're talking about elderly we're talking about black people globally or people who have come from different ethnicities and their intersections until and unless we mainstream accessibility it won't happen something would always be left out so in my lifetime i mean that's my life goal if i am able to do that to mainstream that everyone does accessibility, compete with each other so that there is economies of scale and they are getting the revenue because they are accessible, we should do it too. So competition would actually bring economies of scale to bring the cost down. It's affordable in all aspects. And everyone can access everything, whether it's a fourth palace, museum, restaurant. Like everyone can just walk in anywhere and people are aware of their needs and 
they just know they're sensitized and empathetic to their needs and they know how to support them. The yeah. trained workforce is a big factor that we need. Absolutely. So yeah, training and sensitization is also a big part because it can make the entire experience a very nascent and growing movement. Actually, it can challenge its growth. Yeah. Because then everyone becomes a leader of accessibility and inclusion. Yeah. And that is so cool because everyone is advocating for it. And remembering the fact that anyone can become part of this minority anytime. We're just one accident, one genetic condition, one newborn or old age away. True. True. See, we've spoken about how you took the plunge and started your entrepreneurial journey and that you've always been a hustler like you said at the start. As an entrepreneur, what, according to you, have been your biggest challenges? I think it's multifaceted pretty much. Like one challenge, the first one that was my own family. They were like, what are you trying to do by leaving a cushy job? To convince them, it took them years. And I'm still not sure whether they are convinced with what I'm trying. Yeah. But changing of mindset of the industry and even the disabled people, because they having to trust that they deserve to travel and it is possible for them. Because over the time they have been conditioned, this is not something for us, it is not possible. It's scary. There is fear of the unknown and it would be expensive. We don't know what is there and that thing. Getting that trust that I can travel, I deserve to travel. And if it's something is not accessible, it's my right to ask for it that this should be accessible. Yeah. Every disabled person believing that I think is a big challenge. Then only if everyone asks for accessibility as their human right, it can become a movement and a revolution. Absolutely. And then I think another big challenge has been the prejudice in the industry that this is not a market. Like, yeah, there's why are you wasting your time? Yeah. So it's not big enough a market. They don't have money. Let's not put too much effort into it. Let's just check the compliance. And this is the bigger challenge that they do things for legal compliance, not from a customer service perspective, that this is a human being. That yeah. means equitable respect and dignity and then perhaps spending more money. And they need an equitable experience and a respectful experience. Absolutely. Yeah, kudos to you for forging on. Trying with the help of everyone around me. Are there organizations or people in the space who inspire you? I would say every disabled person that comes along and gets over that initial hunch, like, I want to be a traveler and I want to see the world inspires me because once they have gotten over their own minds that I can do it they go back to their daily lives more confident to do other stuff I have had people who say a person blind person who gifted himself a solo birthday trip and he never told me that he called me on his birthday that today is my birthday and this was my gift to myself because I never traveled and then he went back and started learning guitar and then came back complaining that Neha, you made me into a travel addict. Now it's so difficult not to travel. <laughs> That's a good complaint to have, yeah. So another person who's a wheelchair user, he went back after traveling with us and learned how to drive. So each of these stories is what inspires me to keep on going. Like just making these small, small differences in people's lives. And I'm not some, doing something 
extraordinary, honestly. I'm just making them feel that they can do it. It's the environment that disables them. And then we just have to make the environment accessible and just see them thrive and live for life and experience this wonderful book called life. Yes. Why should they just like, yeah. Read only one page. Absolutely. Agree. So these are the people who inspire you. What compels you to do what you do? What keeps you motivated? It's not easy. Yeah. I think the why of why I started in the first place is what keeps me motivated all the time because I have like actually tried finding anyone my age having parents with disabilities with two different disabilities like now new age couple you have like disabled couples with small small kids but as for my age I've never met anyone and somehow I feel that I was given this privilege of understanding multiple disabilities in one go because I was born to them my brain cannot think in one dimension so when someone asks me is this place accessible I'll say this is accessible for wheelchair users, not accessible for the blind and autistic and red. Because I cannot think in that one dimension of disability. Yeah. I think that's a privilege I was born to, having born to parents with disabilities. And it puts me in a very unique position that you have that responsibility to change the world because you know that, you understand from a multidimensional perspective. I've come across people from all walks of life with disability telling me focus on one disability because it's easy. I'm like, <laughs> it does not work like that. No, it does not work. Like and that. then you'll build a better business. If you see any business in disabled travel across the world, hmm. anywhere, they focus on one single disability. And this was same when I started researching in 2011. It's 2023, it still hasn't changed. There is a company for wheelchair users. There's a company for blind people. There is a company for deaf people. I mean, why are you letting disability define where people travel, how they travel and with whom they travel? Why can't we have an inclusive travel industry? Everyone travels with everyone. We're still the only company in the world that mixes people with and without disabilities to travel together in one group. Eight years. Wow. So I just feel that responsibility, if I have the capacity to change it, I should go ahead and change it no matter what. Brilliant. What a wonderful way to end this conversation. And I agree with you that we should have a accessibility for all mindset rather than making disability at front and center of this conversation, which totally does not help at all, right? No, because then you will take centuries to get there. It's not happening. No, it'll definitely not happen. Thank you so much, Neha, for making time for this wonderful conversation and very insightful conversation. There's so much learning to do and there's so much more that we can talk about yes, for hours and hours, but we'll do another one. Thank you so much for having me. I thoroughly enjoyed the session today. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week on the Elephant in the Room podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on any of your favorite platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. And if you enjoyed listening to the podcast today, don't forget to write a review and tell your friends. Sign up on the link in the show notes to receive updates on our guest speakers, blogs and events. And don't forget to tune in every Thursday for new episodes.